Hello everyone, this is Alan from the Wedgehead Pinball Podcast, coming at you with a special solo episode this week. My normal co-host, Alex the Waterboy, he is out sick, so I'm going to be doing a solo episode for you here, and hopefully we can get back to recording some full episodes with the both of us sometime soon. That being said, uh, I wanted this episode, I feel like this was a good time to tackle an issue or tackle like what some feedback I've gotten from some of the listeners who said that they really liked the show, but they felt like they weren't maybe the target audience and some new players or some people that are pinball curious. And they were like, we don't really understand some of the terms you guys use. Uh, and then I had to, I had to check myself after, you know, playing pinball for the last 15 or so years and realize, oh yeah, there's a lot of weird verbiage that has just become invisible to myself or to, you know, long-term pinball players or pinball heads. So I, I think I want to go make this episode a quick kind of rundown of sort of like different common pinball terminologies and sort of give a quick definition of them. And then that way, you can always have an episode that we can reference back to. Uh, maybe it'll be a good starting point episode for people who are totally new to the hobby and don't understand pinball terminology. So I want to get this one done. It seemed like the week to do it uh, as a solo episode, since it's kind of just me running down a list of terms that I made, and I'll be kind of giving a quick definition of each. I hope you all enjoy it, even the regular kind of pinball heads. I hope maybe you'll get something out of it or disagree with me on how something should be defined or whatever. I think we should start with, at least from the first few episodes, I know words that got specifically mentioned to me, and I think a lot of them have to do with eras. I think the first era is electromechanical, but WIT is often sort of shortened to EM, the letters EM. And anytime you hear us say EM or anyone say EM, that means electromechanical. And what that basically means is this is before circuit boards. So they had bells and chimes or score reels. And before even score reels, they just had lights that would light up and there'd be numbers in the back of the game and that's how you kept score but that's what we're referring to as em our name wedgehead is actually taken from a nickname given to a certain manufacturer gottlieb they made a lot of single player games that they that they had a very distinctive slanted uh kind of back box and it was wedge shaped so that's they they would call those games affectionately they were known as wedgeheads so when we went into our building and we had a triangular weird shaped building that turns into a wedge i thought it was a perfect name which is sort of the history of that name for those of you that are wondering that never knew that the others is you might hear something called a wood rail wood rail is a type of em so it's an old game and this is these are the earliest ems and this is before they use you believe it or not they they used wood instead of metal on the sides of the machines to hold the glass in place so those are wood instead of metal, and those are referred to as wood rails, right? And then after that, we get into the solid state era, uh, sometimes referred to as the alphanumeric era. Uh, basically, this was when solid state electronics were taking over. You can call even modern games today, they're technically solid state, but nobody refers to them as such. This is usually from the era like 79 to about 1989, so about that decade when it became feasible to manufacture 
pinball machines and and other things, but pinball was is what we're talking about on the pinball podcast. But it's where they they have circuit boards, they have computers, you know, they have logic boards and drivers and and just modern electronics were available. So instead of everything being done in the EM era with cams and relays and switches, which I know those are a lot of different terms, and I don't want to get this into like an an electrical or an electronics definition podcast one because I'm not qualified. I don't think that's very exciting to listen to. Basically, think about it like modern games have computers and that's how they track scoring. They hold pieces of software or code, which is how they do light shows and they do all the different things that make a pinball machine work, right? Back in the day, they didn't have that. So when we refer to solid state, it could mean up to the modern era, but it never does. What people mean when they say solid state game is they mean games from roughly 1979 to about 1989. It just means that the games no longer have bells, chimes, they have electronic sounds, they have electronic scoring, and their displays where they show the score are no longer reels. They are now you know, like what you would see on an old alarm clock, you know, where they have sort of those segmented digits that we call alphanumeric or alphanumeric displays. And sort of after that, this is another one that I had a lot of people, I realized that we say a lot, that we shorten a lot. And so I want to kind of describe this next kind of era of pinball and it's DMD. Uh, that's short for dot matrix display, which is again, referring to the display in a pinball machine. So where you see your scores, the dot matrix display changed a lot in pinball because it went from the alphanumeric that preceded it. And it sort of coincided, not perfectly, because there there were some games and there was a period where they kind of were in flux a little bit. But what people usually refer to it as, they, they like to use DMD or dot matrix display to refer to an era. And that era is sort of kind of really still what you have now. It's all the games pretty much have modes starting in the DMD era, you know, or they get modes, uh, they get ramps, they get multi-balls. There were a few in the solid state era, like I was saying, that sort of bleed across the lines. But just in general, like if you're playing a pinball machine, if you're playing an Adams Family or you're playing a brand new Godzilla, right? Like those all have, they're very similar as far as like what they can offer. They all have modes, ramps, toys, multi-balls, and I'll describe each of those things here in a second as well in further detail. But that's the DMD era. It refers to the display as dot matrix display, which means all the animations are done in little dots or like little pixels. They were orange, sometimes red. You know, the stern ones were red, and then now they make them in color and all that sort of stuff. But anytime you see pixelated art, that's a dot matrix display, and we refer to those as DMDs. But it's typically referring to an era which is sort of like from, you know, 1990 to about 2012. And the last is the modern era. Sometimes we refer to this again as sort of like the LCD era, which, as you probably know, phone screens, televisions, LCD, right? So those started in 2013. Jersey Jack Pinball made Wizard of Oz and sort of changed the standard for the industry. So now it wasn't dots anymore. It felt outdated. So now they're using little, you know, modern LCD screens. All right. Next up, I think I should probably cover some more of the pieces of the machines and the playfield parts. Uh, when you say cabinet, 
cabinet is like the body of the machine, the big, long outer wood cabinet body, and then you put it on legs and that's how it stands up. The back box is the thing that's up top at the top of the pinball machine, furthest away from you when you're playing. That will host any display, whether it, you know, it was score reels back in the day with the EMs or DMD or the alphanumerics of the solid state in the DMD era or the new LCD screens. We call that the back box, so the thing that stands up and you look for your scores at. It also typically has a big piece of art that's illuminated from the back, so that's the back box. And where the art sits on, we refer to as a back glass. That's because back in the day, these things were made of glass, and they had art sort of reverse screen printed onto the backs of them, and then lights would shine through them, illuminating it. They still do the same thing now, except nowadays they're not made out of glass, so they're referred to as trans lights because they're typically on, you know, plastic or like a plexiglass type material, and they usually have a separate sheet, you know, paper that they print the art on that the light shines through it. Again, it sort of changes over time, but the common nomenclature is still back glass, so you may still hear people refer to things like, oh, I really like the Deadpool back glass you know you can be a pedantic little ass if you want and be like oh actually that's translate but whatever people refer to as a back glass that's what a classically is and you can call it one way or the other even if you're talking about a modern game flippers right that's what you hit the ball with uh i don't know if i need to really explain basic flippers other than modern flippers they've been this way since sort of the the mid 70s you started to see sort of the common full-size flipper now we they're three inches in our first episode we covered lightning flippers which are a special eighth of an inch shorter between the two of them so creating a flipper gap that's an eighth of an inch wider, I guess. Uh, and you can hear more about lightning flippers and how divisive they are still to this day in our first episode of the podcast. But then there's also flippers that Bally made in the mid 80s that they did on some games that are slightly longer. So they're sort of like the reverse. They're sort of the lightning flippers, but they're a little bit longer than the standard. Some people call those carrot flippers because of their shape and they got kind of notches on them. So if the lightning Flippers have little lightning bolts on them. Bally carrot flippers sort of have these like sort of notches, these notch lines down them. And those are just a little bit longer. But by and large, pretty much everything from the mid 70s on, for the most part, are all three inch flippers with some exceptions. Um, but before this, when you're still in the EM era, you had two inch flippers. That was the standard. So much shorter, much very small flippers. And the other interesting one, I think, is well, there were banana flippers, which were these like curved, like kind of high ally shapes, these little boomerang, uh, these little banana shapes. So they call them banana flippers. Those were on a couple games. Those are those were a novelty experiment that they did as well. Disco Fever, Time Warp had them, I think. But other than that, you won't see those. But what you will see on Williams games were something called zipper flippers. And those are basically like the two inch flippers, but designer Ted Zale sort of created them as a mech where they would zip together. So you would typically hit like a bumper or something on the play field and the flippers would close. So they close the gap. So they'd be, they come in together. And there's some cool games that have that. The one I like the most is probably Nip It, which is, you know, alligator themed. And a fun fact is that's the first game that is in the background on the TV show Happy Days that they're playing. That's what the Fonz is playing, is a nip-it. It actually changed later on the show, but for all intents and purposes, it's a nip-it. has zipper flippers on it. It's a cool feature, and it's a lot of fun. But I think that covers flippers, more or less. And other terms you might hear are ramps. Ramps should be self-explanatory. Anything that looks like a ramp that takes the ball up a level in the playfield 
and they typically come back to your flippers. That's a ramp. People get mad if a game doesn't have a ramp in the modern era, but it was very, you know, they are, you started to see them pop up. Games would have a single ramp, and that was considered a feature in the mid-80s. Games like Xenon or Sorcerer, they're, that's like the one ramp era, and it was a big deal. Now people typically expect two at the minimum, sometimes up to three or four, but they're fun. They change sort of the pace of the game, and they give elevation to the game. The other thing you'll hear a lot is orbit so an orbit is just a shot it's typically around the outside so the furthest shot or the furthest shot to the to the left or the right uh that comes all the way around so if it if you shoot a shot on the edge and it loops all the way around technically an orbit doesn't have to be the furthest shot it can be one shot in or whatever but it basically comes out like an orbit like a planet's orbit you shoot the ball it goes around the shot and it comes back the other way so that's an orbit a spinner is a target that you hit that is on an axis and then activates a switch. So typically spinners are most often placed in modern pinball. They're placed on orbit. So those far shots, because the ball gets moving, gets a chance to kind of cook through the spinner and it'll flip around and it'll hit the switch multiple times and you'll score for every time target kind of spins around. They were introduced, to, you know, they were a staple of EMs into the solid state era, you know, light the spinner, you know, it starts off being worth small points, you light it. Maybe it's worth 100 points and now it's worth 1,000 or whatever, but they're very cool. They're still using pinball today. They're pretty much everyone's favorite common pinball part, I would say. Uh, and unlike pop bumpers, they're still popular. They're still used to great effect in, in modern games. Then we get into things that sort of stop the ball, like a saucer. So a saucer is like started in older games, like you would think, like it's like a saucer, like a spoon-shaped kind of divot out of the play field that the ball can fall into, sit there, hit a switch, you know, it kicks it out of there. Then what we get to later is a scoop, which is the same concept, the ball, but it's usually below the play field. So it's, you know, it has, it's just, it falls into a hole in the play field. And then the way it kicks it back out, because it can go into the play field and it can roll underneath because there could be a path under the play field we call subway where the ball disappears from play and pops up somewhere else or it can just go in and then pop right back out but anytime anywhere it pops out of we call a vertical up kicker or you'll hear it called a vuk or some people will call it a vuk so i think alex has referred to a vuk in the past on the podcast that people were confused about but that's what it is vertical up kicker ball goes into a scoop pops up and back out so ghostbusters attack from mars a million games have them Almost every game has one uh, in this day and age, the modern day. The next thing you have are the big triangles above your flippers. These are called slingshots. They have kickers in them. When the ball hits one, it fires, and you'll get a lot of fun interaction above the flippers where it'll kick back and forth. And slingshots are really the best way to make a game harder to control. So, you know, there's a lot of debate and the way people set up games and whatnot, but you know, we have a reputation for setting our games up hard. But really, that just means we keep the slings tight. We keep the sling, we rebuild the slings when they start to get weak. And it'll cause a ball to graze them and kind of fire cracker back and forth. Some players don't like the extra challenge or whatever, and they'll bitch about that. But slingshots are crucial. Otherwise, you'd play a game of pinball forever. So it gives a randomizing effect above the flippers, makes the game fun, harder to control, etc. The next thing we're going to talk about are drop targets. Well, we should talk about stand-up targets. That's any target that you hit and it recognizes it. So a target is just a switch. So you hit a big 
plastic piece and then it moves backwards and it, it hits the switch and so it knows that you hit a target and those are stand-up targets they come in different shapes sizes colors whatever but what a drop target is is it's targets that pop up from under the play field and when you hit they sort of fall down into the play field these were really popular in gottlieb's gottlieb made some great ones in the em era they still use them today but they're not as i don't know like they're not they're they're sort of like an afterthought nowadays. I still think they're one of the coolest mechs that we don't really utilize in the modern day anymore. They're expensive to produce is what I've heard George Gomez over at Stern say, but I just think they don't make them, they don't make them valuable like they used to. You know, we have Atlantis on the floor, Gottlieb Atlantis, it's a wedge head currently, and that has a huge row of drop targets on the left side. And they're actually one of my favorite features on those old games. I really like those old Gottlieb wedge heads with a lot of drop targets. The next thing is probably the most misunderstood or commonly complained about feature on a pinball machine, and that's a magnet. Again, this is self-explanatory. The pinball is a metal ball. It can be controlled by a magnet. A magnet can change the trajectory or can grab and hold the ball, but Adam's family kind of famously had hidden magnets under the play field that they called the power. So you, you would have a ball and it would just grab it, right, and throw it across. Iron Man has it. There's a few games that have it, but really not as many as you think. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy has a hidden magnet. But what happens is people will misjudge a ball spinning or bouncing off something and go, oh, you know, they turned up the magnets on this one. Oh, they're screwing me with these fucking magnets, you know. But really, most games don't have magnets under the playfield to screw you. If they do have magnets, they, they're usually to grab and hold a ball for a feature. Yeah, but it, it's a common scapegoat for people that don't really kind of know better. And it really has a lot to do with Pat Lawler, who's a famous pinball designer who designed Adam's Family. And because that game was so popular and they made it's the best-selling pinball machine of all time, that game was ubiquitous. And it, that game would do that. So now everyone thinks that any weird bounce or spin that got put on a ball is due to some magnet force under the playfield. This is more on the technical side, but coils, when you hear coils or solenoids, that's basically just how things move under the playfield. So if you're talking to someone that, you know, plays pinball or, or fixes pinball machines and they say coil or solenoid, those are interchangeable terms for the same thing. These are electromagnets, but they basically just grab something and slam it down when, a, when an electrical current is run through them. That's how everything in a pinball machine moves. You know, there are a couple motors. Motors are used sparingly because they're not as reliable. Coils are very reliable and they're cheap and they deliver, you know, fast and snappy power. So pretty much everything that moves in a pinball machine controlled by a coil or a solenoid. And, you know, flippers, pop bumpers, big toys, whatever, which we can all get to next. Anything that sort of moves or changes uh, state can be called a mech. Sometimes these are also called toys. Toys are mechs. Right. So think about the castle in medieval madness that we refer to as a mech, even though it has multiple coils to move the castle gate up and down, you know, and the drawbridge up and down. And when you destroy the castle, it kind of gives that crazy animation where the turrets move. We call that a mech, right? Or the building in Godzilla or the trunk in Theater of Magic. Any of those things are mechs. They can also be called toys. And they're really what makes a certain pinball machine distinctive, right? Typically, these things only happen on that one game or they only happen in that way on that one game. So uh, they're often talked about by pinball players. And, you know, I think a lot of the best ones were probably done in the 1990s in the DMD era by Valley Williams, especially. Another term you might hear is sculpt. Uh, sculpt just means uh, a sculpted 
plastic, you know, like a 3D plastic. A lot of times in pinball machines, you'll see flat plastics that have art printed on them around the playfield or whatever. Uh, but a sculpt is they took the time to sculpt something. So if you see the Sparky in Metallica, that's, you know, a sculpted 3D plastic guy in an electric chair. That's what they're talking about is sculpts. And people typically want more sculpts, you know, because it helps with the world under glass, which is the next term. When you hear people talk about world under glass, it just means kind of all the window dressing, right? It's what's the little world like under the glass. I think my favorite game, Whitewater, is a perfect example. It has all those sculpts of the mountains. You know, it has the Yeti, who's a toy or a mech, right? And they just sort of come together and the art all comes together to create, to, to paint a very vivid world under glass. You feel like you're on the river, you're rafting, you know, there's this Yeti monster, there's crazy 90s humor you're with wet willy who's sort of like a willy wonka psycho character but the world under glass is there they got like little details that make it seem more vivid right uh and then we also have plunger that's where you pull back and it has a spring and it hits the ball up the play field and into play you know nowadays they also have auto launchers or a button launcher or some games have a gun or tales from the crypt had like a weird like kind of door handle you know knocker <laughs> that that you would press, but uh, they're all the same thing. And even on games that only have buttons, people still call it a plunger or a plunge, right? And then we also have rubbers. This should be self-explanatory as well, right? All the stuff that's on the flippers, on everything that the ball bounces against. Those are, historically, we're all rubber. Nowadays, you have multiple options like polyurethane and silicone and stuff like that, but they're still typically referred to as rubber. And then now I think we get into some common skills, I guess let's say, or terminology went for playing pinball. I started with plunge, so I'll say soft plunge. Soft plunge is where you intentionally plunge short of maybe the main objective or going all the way around to the top, typically because there's like an upper flipper and you want to plunge just above it so that you get a clean shot off that upper flipper to start the game. Then there's the common term nudge. Nudge just means touching the game, kind of moving it with your hands, moving the cabinet, the side of the cabinet, and kind of bumping the ball. Uh, if you nudge too hard, you will get a tilt warning. And then if you get, if you shake it too many times, like in modern games, the standard is you get two tilt warnings on the third one you tilt. In old games like EMs, the second you hit that, there is no warning. It's just tilt. Tilting a game is not nudging a game. Tilting a game is failing to nudge properly, right? You're nudging until you tilt. The tilt is a failure to nudge. So if that makes sense, I think that's a very commonly misused term that people don't, you know, they're like, oh, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to tilt the machine. Nobody wants to tilt the machine. Okay. You know, you're trying to nudge without tilting. Then there's, you know, there's the standard tilt, uh, but then there's also a slam tilt and a slam tilt is when you smash kind of the coin door where the coins go in, there's another sensor on there that will trigger a slam tilt. So if you kind of kick or knee the machine or whatever, that's a slam tilt. Then we get into some stuff like a slap save. Slap save is very common, probably the most common skill that you're going to want to learn as a, as a player. And that's where you hit one flipper and then the other flipper button in short succession after. It's typically to save a ball going straight down the middle. You slap the cabinet. You can get just the tip of one flipper on it. And then you immediately, you know, it kind of bounces it just enough over to the other side. You just get the tip on it and then you smack it up out of the way back into safety. That's what we've referred to as a slap save. And then we have sort of the band moves, the moves that will get you kicked the fuck out of Wedgehead if I see you doing them is the death save or the bang back. And this is where a ball goes down 
the outlanes, the, the far side drains, and it's rolling down. And there are moves where you can kind of kick and shove and push a machine and kind of pop the ball back up from underneath the flippers just above the drain and back into play. It's not allowed in tournaments. And to do it successfully on old kind of 90s games, you know, it's a pretty violent move. So most operators don't fucking like it myself included and it's it's not tournament legal and honestly even if it was your game and you, and you think it's fair game or whatever it's just a weak ass move that you're not allowed to do it in tournament and really you're just handicapping yourself and your future growth as a player you want to get good don't even learn them don't even fucking do them you know end of story uh we'll do a whole episode on death saves and bang backs and all that kind of shit later because i think there's a lot of meat on those bones again that's another divisive thing some players think it's just part of the game it's just a skill or whatever Obviously, I disagree, but that'll be a good episode in and of itself that we'll do at a later time. Then we get things like drop catches or live catches. These are basically like the reverse of the other. Drop catches, usually balls coming out your flipper. You hold the flipper up and then you release the flipper the second it hits the flipper and it kind of deadens the momentum and kind of squats down on the flipper. A live catch is your flipper's at rest and you flip just as it's coming up and you kind of deaden the momentum with a flip. And then the benefit of a live catch is... Now you're in a cradle, we call it, or a trap. It's where you're holding a ball in one flipper. That's it. Or multiple balls if you're in a multi-ball. Then we have post-pass. Post-pass just means you're in a cradle, like I said, ball on one of your flippers, and you sort of kind of tap the flipper button, and it bounces up off the bottom of the slingshot post and kind of rolls back and across the flipper gap to the other flipper. It's a great way to kind of pass. I think it's the easiest one to learn, but then there are things like a tap pass or an in-lane pass, which is where... It's rolling down the tip of the flipper, and a tap pass is, especially on solid state games, you can just sort of kind of, instead of pressing the flipper button, you can just kind of tap it, right? And it'll just give it a little soft flip, which will just pop the ball up and over. So instead of hitting a shot up the play field, it'll just give it enough juice to just kind of pop it over. An in-lane pass is the same concept, but on a more modern game, you sort of let it roll to the very tip of the flipper, and then you just sort of hit your flip, and it'll roll up the in-lane. And the in-lane is just what it sounds. It's the lane that leads to your flippers. It's in. So it's next to the slingshot. You have plastic or metal guides. The ball rolls in, rolls down towards your flipper, right? Those are in lanes. The lanes that are next to those are out lanes. And those are the ones that go to the drain. Pretty self-explanatory. Another thing you'll hear players say with in lanes and passing and all that kind of stuff is shatsing or shatsing the in lane. That's named after a famous old school pinball player, Neil Shatz. He's sort of credited with creating this. Uh, where a lot of times the in lanes and out lanes, you can kind of move with the flipper button, you can spell things out. And so they'll they'll score things or they'll be valuable or they'll start like a shot multiplier or whatever. It's very it's very useful on a game like Alien Star, which is an old solid state, Premier Godleap solid state, awesome game. We have one that needs to come back in. But if you can if you can shats that in lane and then hit the spinner, you're partying. Okay. But that's, that's why you might want to do that or learn that skill. It's very difficult to do. Uh, it's definitely an advanced skill, but definitely very doable and fittingly named after the man that sort of invented it, made it famous. All right, jackpot, right? Everyone understands what a jackpot is. It's a shot that's worth a lot of points. Although, <laughs> modern sterns, multi-balls, <laughs> they're not worth a lot of points. Let's just say that, right? Like, everything's lit. They're not worth a lot. Back in the day, jackpot used to mean jackpot and it used to mean something. It's been a little bit devalued nowadays, but they still call them jackpots. Whatever. Mystery. Mystery just means it's a mystery award. So typically you go into a whole scoop, saucer, 
and the game gives you a random award, right? Out of a set of a few different ones. Hurry up is any shot where it's lit, a shot is lit for a certain value and typically starts counting down. And you either have that much amount of time to hit that shot for those points, but even more commonly, it starts at a high value and it starts going down in value very quickly until it gets to nothing. So it's, a, it's just a way for a game to emphasize a certain shot within a certain time period. Combo, that's where you hit one shot and then another shot right off each other. Steve Ritchie's famous for his combos and putting those kind of into pinball machines. This is what we term flow play. Game that wants you to play with flow means hit one shot, then another shot, then another shot. And so a lot of games will reward you for combos and combo play. Bonus is your after ball. Like once you drain, you get a bonus based on things you did. Every game's different as what counts to what bonus. They're really valuable in solid state games and EM games. Used to be like a really big deal. Many modern games, they don't matter quite so much, but you get points at the end of your ball, provided you don't tilt. You know, if you tilt on that ball, it's going to take away your bonus. And then we have a multiplier. Multipliers used to be reserved mostly for bonuses. So you would get, you know, your bonus, you know, times two or three or four or whatever. But nowadays it's, they still do it on bonuses, but really what you see a lot now are playfield multipliers. So either a shot is multiplied for the rest of the ball or the whole playfields times two or times three or four or whatever for a set period of time. Wizard mode. These are a mode, right? A mode is just something that gives you set rules or objectives within a certain time frame. You know, most modern games have that. That's why people people like a lot of modern games is because they they get into things and there's different modes that forces them to hit different types of shots. But usually if you beat enough of these modes or do enough of these objectives in a game, you'll get to, you know, like in a video game, it's the boss fight, right? That's the wizard mode in pinball named because you got to be a pinball wizard to get there. You know, some wizard modes are fairly easy to get to. Some are really, really difficult. They started sort of popping up in the 90s during the DMT era. Tour of the Mansion and Adam's Family by getting through all the mansion rooms, rule the universe, right? And attack from Mars, um, you know, which is defending every city from the Martian invasion, plus other objectives, you know, and then there's Wet Willies and Whitewater. If you get all the raft, if you collect all the rafts all the way up, you go into Wet Willies, right? And that's the wizard mode, you know, and then modern new pinball machines typically have multiple wizard modes. So they're they're being uh, programmed to play longer or have more deep objectives because a lot of people are buying pinball machines for their house versus they used to always be made for location first and foremost. You know, then we have multi-ball. That one should be self-explanatory. Anytime multiple balls are on the play field, that's a multi-ball. Lock. Lock is for multi-ball. So lock is always progress for a multi-ball. The first kind of game that really gets credited with it. There's some EMs that, uh, you know, Bally Star Jump or whatever, um, or, or even EMs where you could push all five of your balls out on the same time. You're like, technically that's a multi-ball. But as far as like a multi-ball mode and where the term lock comes from is Steve Ritchie's game Firepower, where you would physically lock a ball in three separate saucers on the play field. And then when you lock the final one, they would kick them all out and you'd be in a multi-ball mode. And then through the solid state era into the nineties, a lot of times they kept physical ball locks, but they also started doing kind of what they call virtual ball locks. And that's what you'll see a lot of now. Most balls are virtually locked. Like you'll hit it in there, it'll go ball locked. And back in the day, it used to be like balls physically on the play field. You can see it is physically locked. Now, most of the time, it's like ball locked. It'll give you the animation and it'll kick that same ball back at you 
and you just sort of have to keep track in your head or you can see it on the display or whatever, but it's not physically locked in a space. They still do sometimes, and a lot of times it'll be on a higher level model of a Stern machine, let's say, or whatever, but that's locks, right? And then kickback, it's the same sort of thing. You got this also on firepower, get it on like high speed, you get sort of the left this is the left outline you get on whitewater, right? There's like, there's a coil back there and it rolls over that outline switch when that kickback is lit. And instead of going all the way down the drain, it fires outwards and pushes your ball back into play. Those were called kickbacks. Again, that's another Steve Ritchie thing that he created, came ubiquitous. But to save a little bit of money, a lot of times nowadays, you know, almost all kickbacks now are all virtual. So if the lane is lit, you'll see something that's like, a light that's lit that says kickback or ball save or whatever it says, you know, and that just means if it drains, it'll kick a new ball into the shooter lane and usually auto plunge it for you. And that's the last thing, ball save, right? So <laughs> the old games used to plunge and if it would kind of bounce off of something, bounce off some targets or pop bumper or a sling and then go into the out lane and drain, that's just how it was. And they call those house balls, right? Because the house always wins. But, you know, starting in the 90s, they started programming in ball saves so you would get at least 10 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever of time once you plunge that no matter what happens to the ball, it would give you another one. And there's probably some other terms that you may need to know are boutique. Again, we did another episode on this, but it was basically just talking about boutique manufacturers. These are like spooky pinball, American pinball, Dutch pinball. They're just small run manufacturers. And listen to that episode if you want to learn a little bit more about them. The term operator that's sort of like an operator is like what my business partner, Chris Rhodes, is. He operates pinball machines and also can be arcade cabinets or whatever, pool tables, jukeboxes. An operator is someone that operates amusement devices. So if you go to a bar or a laundromat, most of the time, those bars or those laundromats or whatever, they don't own those machines that are in there. The amusement devices, like if they have a buck hunter or a pool table, jukebox, pinball machine, it's usually an operator that buys those, puts those in and then gives a split with that business. Then you have sort of bigger arcades, like we own and operate our own games, you know? So a lot of times a bigger arcade that you would would know or go to in your local area, they probably own and operate their own games. But, in, but if you just walk into a random bar and there's something there, typically those are not owned by that business, but they're operated by somebody else. A distributor is sort of like a car dealership or a car dealer, if that makes sense. You rarely buy games brand new from the manufacturer themselves, although a lot of boutiques will still sell uh, straight through or whatever. But if you're buying from like Stern, you're buying through a distributor almost all the time. You know, they're just a big company and they get regionality, just like a kind of a car dealership, right? Like Stern gives out so many in so many regions. You know, we buy from a big company called Betson. That's our distributor. That's where we get to buy our new games from. Uh, manufacturer, people that make the games, right? Stern Pinball, Jersey Jack Pinball. The boutiques like Spooky, American, Dutch Pinball, those are all manufacturers. Mods are anything that didn't come with the game. Some of them are like extra lighting or art blades or mirror blades, which are things on the sides of the play field where they, you know, just add extra art or they put mirrors. But they could be little toys, little features. There's a there's a whole community that mods pinball machines and they sell little toys or add-on kits, you know, online. Jazz your games up a little bit if you're that if you're that type of person. We have video modes, 
watch a little video games aside pinball just lo and behold we've done another episode on that too so check out our episode on video modes if you want to learn more about them virtual pinball that just means a cabinet i mean it could be something that you play on your phone it could be something you play on your playstation or it could be it built in a pinball cabinet with a back box on legs with flipper buttons and everything but it's a big tv screen and it runs virtual video game pinball so no coils no no physical mechs just a video game version of pinball in a pinball cabinet grand champ means you have the number one overall high score on that machine it's usually a big deal and it, they're highly sought after probably the most fun about playing on location is trying to steal a grand champ score or competing with your friends for a grand champ score and then when we talk about designers we're talking about steve ritchie right pat lawler Keith Elwin of the modern day, those those are the people that set up the shots, build the game, kind of lay out all the shots physically. Some of them have more say than others about how they want the rules to go or whatever, but they're like a director of a movie. Then you have the coders, famous ones are Lyman Sheets, Dwight Sullivan, people like that, and they're sort of there to create the code, program the code, or the rules, or the rule sets. So they do the things like they program light shows, and then they also make sure stuff fires when you hit this button, this flipper fires, things like that. But they also typically get credit for the rules, like, you know, hit this this many times, you start this mode, things like that. The designer is sort of credited like like a director in a movie and sort of the coder, I would say, is sort of like the DP, the director of photography. They both have to work together and together they sort of, even though it's still a team full of electrical and mechanical engineers and so many other people and art and all that kind of stuff, they're sort of the two main driving creative forces of the machine and how it's going to play when you get to play it in the wild. And, you know, as far as like rule sets go, the last thing I'll talk about is just sort of like when you hear people describe a rule set or code, you know, code and rule set are sort of used interchangeably and they'll say things like, oh, that's deep or it's shallow. So deep means like you think it means and shallow means like you think it means. Shallow means it's simple or, or there's not a lot to it, right? It's shallow is typically used as a derogatory thing, although I don't see why it shouldn't have to be. It, it could be a s simple games can be very fun. They can be very you know, like just one more, one more, one more, right? Like you know exactly what to do. There's not a lot of surprises. Deep code, you know, it's also exactly what you think it means. It is deep, lots of levels, lots to discover. Lots of different stuff, multiple choices, right? So like a shallow game would be something like Terminator 2, an early DMD game from 1991 versus Stern's Godzilla. Just trying to give you guys two examples. That's a, that's an example of a very deep game with lots to do, multiple wizard modes, new stuff to see, right? And they're still kind of changing it and tweaking it. But as far as games you might see in the wild, like you people will typically go, oh yeah, Terminator 2. That's a very, that's a fun game, but it's shallow. Godzilla, that's a fun game, but it's very deep. I think that's about everything I kind of had written down that I wanted to cover. I know some of these things are better seen, maybe not listened to. It was just something that I wanted to get this episode done and I wanted it to get into the feed because I, I did hear your feedback or some of y'all's feedback where you were like, oh, we really are enjoying the show and we're learning a lot and we're, and we're really happy to listen to it you know, we feel like we're not the target audience. And I don't want that to be the case at all. I want I want this to be a podcast that anyone that's into pinball, whether you're brand new or a veteran, can listen to it. And I think part of that was just getting these kind of descriptions of common terminology 
you know, kind of out there so that we can always reference it. We can always tell people, hey, you know, if you're just, you're new to pinball and you're checking out the podcast because you're excited, maybe start with this episode first. Uh, something that we can always point to and kind of help people out and then it'll make your enjoyment of all the other episodes richer for it. That's it. Thanks for sitting with me through this podcast. It was a little bit weird doing it by myself, talking to myself in a room, but I hope you all enjoyed it. Until next time, you know, go play some pinball. Go play some pinball on location. You know, try something else out. If you heard some of the skills, like a nudge or or a tap pass or a oh, dead bounce or dead flip. Oh, I don't even know if I covered dead flip. Dead flip is where you just let the ball hit the flipper, bounce right over to the other side. Can't believe I missed that one. Anyway, <laughs> I'm glad I'm saying it in the outro. Go out and play some pinball. That's the end of this episode. That's the end of every episode. Go find some pinball. Go out and play it. That's what this is all about at the end of the day. Until next time, good luck. Don't suck. <laughs> <laughs>